I'm glad that we're here, looking forward to what God's going to do in my heart and our hearts and our midst these uh, few hours together. And there's going to be a lot packed in here in a short time. But um, what we're going to see, and I think if you get familiar with what God does, God doesn't need a lot of time. And, um, and so I think um, it's going to be much of what you put into it uh, in these hours. Take your Bibles and go to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter number 16. It is an honor to be able to preach at this. Thank you, Pastor. And it's an honor to be able to preach with my pastor. And uh, I was very much helped in a, just a, a crucial time in my life. And the Lord led me uh, into Pastor Hardy. And, and um, I just, uh, I could never uh, in this lifetime express my gratitude of what God has done using Pastor Hardy and Bible Baptist Church. And uh, you're going to be helped and encouraged and challenged and stirred. You won't forget his messages. And um, he, God has used him to lead a men's advance there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. About 1,500, 1,600 men show up, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that we're having this and others having this, there's a need for this. And not less, but there's more. And, um, and I, I hope you'll be convinced of that. Judges chapter number 16, the title of the book, Judges, describes the role of the men that God raised up. These men were referred to as judges. You could also call them deliverers. That's what they were. They were representing God in God's stead, delivering the people of God. And the book of Judges is a 400 period of time in which God's people would serve God. They'd go back into captivity. They'd cry out for God, and God would send a deliverer, a judge. And we come to chapter number 16, and we come now to this event in one of the more familiar judges, Samson. And we come to the end of his life, and we are allowed to look into his life as God allows the curtain to remain open. And one of the greatest deliverers, one of the greatest judges that God had raised up to deliver his people, he himself is in need of deliverance. And if we could, let's stand please and let's look if you would in verse number 20. And she, Delilah said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I think that's perhaps one of the saddest phrases in all the Bible. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. Notice the little G. 
For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women beheld, that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and, and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. You know, I look at this and and I see what the Bible says that Samson, as a deliverer, accomplished more in seeing the death of the enemies of God at his own death than he did during his life. And I believe God has put this here so that we can, if we will look and pick up on what Samson did at his death to accomplish more at his death, so that we could implement that in our life and accomplish what God would have us to accomplish while we yet live. We don't have to wait until we've tried everything else. We don't have to wait until time is expired and we're done with all the other things and we've sampled and tasted and we've, we've, we've been left with a lot of regret. Now, if we can take the same mindset in the same ingredients that Samson applied at his death where God showed up and we apply that in our everyday life, then we'll see God showing up and making us the men that he would have us to be. Thank you. Please be seated. Years ago, a businessman read a, a little book that he had picked up and it was entitled Men of God. He was very stirred by it, and he wanted to get some more, and he looked, and he found that it was written in Chicago by a publisher there. So he wrote, this was back uh, when he had to handwrite the letter, and, and he handwrote this letter and sent it to the publisher and said, I'd like to order 125 copies of Men of God. The publisher wrote back and said, we're completely out of Men of God. Try Grand Rapids. Well, fortunately, they were talking about the book. But the truth is, we need men of God. Our nation and churches have been without strong male leadership for too many a decade. This is contrary to God's design. In the beginning, God first created the man, and from that man, he created woman. At the fall, there was an inversion of God's order. When Eve took the lead in disobedience, and Adam joined her. Listen, don't ever uh, get that out of order and blame Eve for what happened. Adam was right there with her. 
Eve, remember, was deceived, and she was deceived because Adam did not lead. And there was an inversion of God's order. After the fall, there became a diversion from God's plan and His design, and His function was then reversed, so that now we've digressed to a perversion stage. And we see it all around us. Our country is filled with perversion. Just this past week, whatever the awards ceremony was, I saw the, the uh, couple of captions. This one, I'm not sure even how you pronounce her name, Kara or Carla. She made a political statement wearing white coveralls. Her fitted top said, Peg the Patriarchy. When speaking to Vogue about her look, the top model said, it's about women empowerment. It's a bit like stick it to the man, she said. In that same event, a blogger by the name of Nikki um, has this blog, Nikki Tutorials, and wore a turquoise gown with a that was adorned with colorful flowers and a bow near the bottom that read, pay it no mind. The message was a nod to activist and drag queen Marsha P. Johnson who has said those words when questioned about gender. And this one wearing this dress is a man that is pretending to be a woman. Well, today we're not completely out of men of God. However, there's room for plenty more. The psalmist said in Psalm 12 and verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. There's a deficit of godly men. And the great burden that David had there in crying out was that God would create more. At least 72 times we find that reference to man of God in the Bible. Listen, you want to grow something and you want to do something in a short span like three months, it's said that you should grow squash. You want to grow something, harvest something that will take place in 25 years, then grow trees. But if you want to harvest something that spans eternity, grow men. See, God calls men to leadership in the home and church. You know, a conference like this is not just a good idea. Now, I know there are a lot of women's conferences. And I'm not sure that I really see the value and benefit of those. Uh, and, and, and I've got a wife that doesn't really see the benefit of those. She'll go to those sometimes and I'll say, how was it? She said, it was weak. It was weak. They need some preaching is what they need. And, but I want to tell you that this is something that you find in the Bible. Do you know that God, he had three conferences a year for men, men only. Ladies were not allowed. Three men's conferences. Why did he do that? Why did he call the men? Because man was created first because God would ultimately hold him responsible for that which was put under his care and that which was put under his charge. So manhood is really tied to responsibility that is under God. In the absence of that, it diminishes authentic manhood. 
So God is deliberate. You find him very deliberate about this matter of creating man and the order in which he created. You find him very deliberate in, in equipping the man and having the emphasis for the men. And God is deliberate, then we too should be delivered. This pastor's deliberate. And some of you pastors that are here, you're deliberate about this. We ought to be deliberate about this matter. And so we want you to be encouraged. We want you to be inspired. We want you to be empowered as men to fulfill your God-given assignments. Listen, if we go primarily after children, primarily we're going to reach children. If we go primarily after the women, we're going to reach women. But if you go primarily after the men, you're going to reach the family because God has established it this way. And developing strong male leadership in a feminized society is not going to happen by accident. It's not going, going to even happen just by pushing the young men into sports. Our sports is being inundated with the confusion of the genders. It's going to be a result of being intentional and having the focus that's dedicated to this specific aim of recognizing this ultimately in equipping men and developing men. It's really about God. It's about our responsibility to God. And since the scriptures put such an emphasis on male leadership, should not churches be deliberate in going after men? Should you not be deliberate in allowing God to do that? Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And the sad words is that it says, but I found none. First Samuel 13, 14, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. First Timothy 6, Paul told Timothy, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. I believe deep within the heart of every man beats a strong desire to be the person that God's created you to be. At the same time, every man is like the moon. We all have a hidden side. And I think that hidden, dark, defeated side has allowed many a man to just desire the something more, but not achieving it, not experiencing it. Every one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our past, we can know a life that is filled with God's love and a burning desire of consistent obedience that will lead us to genuine peace and a real joy. Deep inside, isn't that what you desire? I know it's what I want. You can be the man that God has created you to be. Listen, when we talk about being a man, malehood, now, I know there's not the confusion here, but I also don't want to take that for granted. I, I've had, in, in just recent days, men saying, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with thoughts and desires toward other men. So I don't want to take for granted. But I want to say this, when it comes to this matter of our gender, Malehood, well, that's tied to the plumbing. 
Everyone who works on a farm knows there's only two genders. The biology that we were born with establishes male identity. Then that male becomes a boy. So you have boyhood. Now boyhood is tied to that matter of dependency. A boy is dependent and there's immaturity that's there. And so you go from malehood to boyhood. But we look and understand God's design and desire is that boys develop into uh, uh, to actual men and manhood is what God is looking for. And I think manhood is seen as our responsibility under God. So we really have a couple of hoods. Which hood are you in? Are you in the boyhood department or you're in the manhood department? You might be in the boyhood department stage, but the fact is God can still motivate, or rather not just motivate, but get us past motivated to actually moving us into our responsibility and operating under Him, under the rule of God, in relationship to God. And so... I think it's important that we understand. I think we've got a great example in Samson that could help us with this. I read about these, those two incidences at this award ceremony. And, and I'm reminded just how our country turns. It wasn't too long ago. Tim Tebow was being criticized for his taking a stand and about his faith. And during that same time, then you had Bruce Jenner figuring out that he wants to be a she. And, and everyone, it just seemed ESPN criticized Tebow and, and applauded Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner, one time the Olympian was on the Wheaties box and then moved to the Fruit Loop box. In 1744, the College of William and Mary sent a letter to six Native American chiefs. And they were offering education to 12 of their young braves. The chiefs politely declined the offer with this following reply. Several of our young people were formerly brought up at the colleges of the northern provinces. They were instructed in all of your sciences, but when they came back to us, they were bad runners. They were ignorant of every means of living in the woods, unable to bear cold or hunger, knew neither how to build a cabin or take a deer or kill an enemy, spoke our language imperfectly, and were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, or counselors. They were totally good for nothing. End of quote. So the chiefs then made them an offer of their own. If the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons... We will take care of their education, instruct them in all we know, and make men of them. I've taken a lot of classes, but I never took a course and got credit for being a man. But that is what is the need of the hour. I've been on this Teddy Roosevelt kick lately. You want to talk about a a man's man. Not necessarily what we're going to get to in being God's man, but but a man. October 14, 1912, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Teddy Roosevelt was campaigning for the White House. 
when a would-be assassin, assassin shot him at point-blank range with a 32 caliber pistol. The bullet lodged two inches deep in his chest. And so, the bull moose, Teddy Roosevelt, he said, quote, the bullet is in me now, so that I cannot make a very long speech. So for the next 53 minutes, he spoke while standing in a pool of his own blood. Teddy was tough, which is one of the reasons he's ranking as one of my favorite presidents. This, listen to his resume of manliness. He rode a moose. <laughs> he took down an armed cowboy during a barroom brawl. He crossed a frozen river to chase boat thieves. He worked a ranch in the Dakotas. He flew a Wright Brothers airplane. He scaled the Matterhorn in the Swiss Alps. He went on a month-long African safari. He navigated uncharted parts of the Amazon River. He led the charge up Kettle Hill during the Battle of San Juan. He set up a boxing ring in the White House so he could spar with anybody who dared to get in the ring with him. He was also known to go skinny dipping in the Potomac River while he was president. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. One of Roosevelt's biographers, Edmund Morris, called it an inhumane, or inhuman rather, energy. His description of Roosevelt's nightly ritual was this. So he's not just a man who can get out there and be rough and tough, but they said here's his nightly uh, uh, ritual as the president. The president would brush his teeth, jump into bed, put his revolver beside his pillow, and he read a minimum of one book per night. Then, there being nothing further to do, says Morse, Theodore Roosevelt would energetically fall asleep. I think if he were still existing in today's society, they would make a law against him for just existing. He would hurt somebody's feelings just by being in the room with them. We come to this passage, and here was a man. We think of Samson in our mind because of perhaps the paintings and the drawings and the, um, the, the depictions that we find of him as some great, huge uh, hulk of a man. But the truth is, I don't think Samson was a, a Mr. Olympia. I don't think he had huge bulging biceps, or at least not to stand out above anyone else, or they wouldn't have been trying to figure out where does your strength come from. But we witness this part of his life. It's very disgraceful. We see the devastation of his sinful choices. Tragic. Sin is blinding. It's binding. It's grinding. The scene is bleak. It's dark. It's hopeless. None of us would read this and really think if we didn't know how it would turn out that there's any hope of Samson recovering. From a sheer human perspective, Samson is beyond help or hope. Verse 23, we read about Dagon. They believed that Dagon delivered Samson to their hands. Verse 24, Samson was a motivation for the 
heathen, for the enemies of God to stay motivated to their false God. Samson was ridiculed in verse 25 in the focus of wicked idolatry. Few then, if any, few today, if any, again, without knowing how it turns out, would ever give any possibility of recovery. However, when Samson appears to be the most hopeless, he's actually as close to God as he ever was. And that is, he's one decision away from deliverance. You and I, we live every day one decision away from destruction and one decision away from deliverance. The problem is not on God's end. There's two wrong views when it comes to this matter of deliverance. Pastor Hardy's dad would often talk about the ditch. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's a ditch on both sides of everything that is true and everything that's right and every position. And, and there is a ditch that somebody would get into and that says, you know, I don't really need this kind of an emphasis. I don't need this meeting. I don't need this matter of crying out to God. I think I'm okay. The fact is, none of us is okay apart from God. If, if Samson, the strongest man who ever lived, and, and David, perhaps the most spiritual man, and Solomon, perhaps the smartest man to ever live, if they both blew it in the same arena that had to do with their passion, then what makes us think that we're exempt from fighting this good fight of faith and getting victory in this area? And the truth is, all three of those men, a Samson and a David and a Solomon, they became careless. It's a wrong, it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous, wrong view to think, I don't need this. The other view, the other ditch that one can fall into is whenever a person, maybe you, you look at Samson saying, that's me. I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. One says, I'm too good for God to deliver because I don't need him to. The other one says, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. There's no hope for me. And Samson is here with no hope. But Samson did find deliverance. He did find recovery. He did find blessing. And as a result of this last experience of Samson's life, I believe is why you'll find him in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32, because he exercised what every one of us can exercise this weekend, and that is faith and confidence and dependence in a God who delivers. Notice in verse 28, the Bible says, And Samson called unto the Lord confidence in God. What was his confidence in God for. He had confidence in the character of God. What did he know about God? He knew his God was a delivering God. Do you know that you have a God tonight that wants to deliver you, that will deliver you? He saw the Lord as a deliverer. Psalm 18 and verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Psalm 34 and verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him, delivered him out of all of his troubles. Daniel 3 and verse 17, those three Hebrew children said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning 
fiery furnace. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 13. We ought to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Romans 7 and verse 24, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he answered his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Peter 2 and verse 7, and delivered just lot. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Listen, it is the nature, it is the character of God to deliver. Would you hold your place here and just go back to chapter 10 a few pages because I think it will help us to see what Samson knew. A lot of it is not about what we don't know. A lot of this is about us acting upon what we know. I believe we have more Bible truth rolling around within our craniums if we would just apply it, if we would appropriate it. Notice what Samson knew about his God in Judges 10 and verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. That's the same thing that Samson is doing back over in verse 28. They cried unto the Lord, and here's what they said. We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. I want to tell you, that's a good confession. They didn't just acknowledge, but they're in agreement with God. God, we've sinned because we've forsaken you and we've served sin and we've served something else as a substitute for you. And so verse number 11, the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites? and the children of Amon, and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Mayanites that oppressed you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. He said, haven't we been here before? Some of you have been there before. In fact, you go from Sunday to Sunday saying, crying out the same thing to God. And God says, haven't we done this? And notice what God's response is in verse number 13. Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Verse 14, go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Verse 15, the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee this day. Verse 16, they didn't just pray the prayer. They weren't just saying, hey, you know, I've I've blown it. And, And I want to tell you, the problem I think a lot of times is we come and we hear preaching and God does the work that he ought to do. He takes the law and he convicts us. But what happens is we come and we slobber at an altar because we're, we're, we feel bad because we feel guilty. Listen, you're looking at pornography. You should feel guilty. You've mistreated your wife. You should feel guilty. You've neglected your children. You should feel guilty. But Jesus didn't die for the guilt. He died for the sin that's causing the guilt. And just because you've gotten caught and you want to deal with the guilt, the Lord says, I ain't doing this anymore. You just want to do your Catholic Baptist kind of confessional thing. You want religion, but you don't want the real relationship. 
then you go call up that that you're using as a substitute for God. Because that's what those things are. They're a substitute. And God says, I'm not doing it anymore. And the children of Israel said, God, you're right. You're justified. Only do unto us whatever seems good in your eyes. In verse 16, so what did they do? They put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. Now notice this. And God, his soul, was grieved for the misery of Israel. What does that mean? That means whenever they got serious and they unloaded the truck and they dealt with sin and they got back to the place where they ought to be, even though God in human terms talking to them as as someone who is thinking biblically and right should talk to us to get us to see God is not some kind of a spiritual bellhop just doing for us what we want at the moment. No, he's God. He's not here to take your side and to help you out of a mess. He's God. He's here to get you to see, draw near to him so he will draw near to you. And when they said, it makes no difference, God, you're right, we've blown it. We're gonna get right. And when they've come back to God, God, it says, God in his soul, he's moved. Why? Because our God is a delivering God. He will always deliver. We'll go back to Judges chapter 16. In just these few more moments here, the nature of God guarantees that he will hear and respond to us. And again, I think we're going to see here in Samson, someone who humbles himself before God, seeks forgiveness and the blessing of God, you're going to get it. God is merciful. He knew, Samson knew, my God is a delivering God. The hymn writer wrote, tis the grandest thing through the ages rung. Tis the grandest thing for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest thing that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. He's able to deliver thee. He's able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. In this short prayer of Samson's, it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes about Samson and it speaks volumes about God. I want us to examine Samson's cry here that we might learn the lessons that will move us from defeat into deliverance. Moves us from bondage into victory. Listen, I think what we describe in our own minds of normal Christian living is where we live regularly defeated. And you have a revival, you have an event like this, and you unload the truck and you move close to God and you get right with God, Listen, the normal Christian life, because our God is a deliverer, one of the great things about salvation is when he saves a man, he doesn't save you and say, I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, he saves you and says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. In fact, he moves inside of you. There are a number of people who say, I don't think I can get saved because I don't think I can live it, to which I tell them, of course you can't. Of course you can't live it. He never said you could, but he always said he would. So because he moves inside of you, deity literally lives in me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So what should that look like? Well, we should be living regularly in victory and shocked by defeat. 
And Samson recognizes, my God will deliver. So what is it about his prayer? Just look at it here. Just, and, and this is the, the message, but we're here at the end, and I want, want you to take these points. Verse 28. Samson called unto the Lord, and he said, Listen, O Lord God, remember me. O Lord God, remember me. It was said back during one of the awakenings when the O's and the A's come back into the prayers of God's people, the Lord's already at work. What is happening here? What is Samson saying when he says, Oh Lord God, remember me? Remember, this is the Samson that was flirting. He's really flirting with the devil's agenda. He's flirting with Delilah. He's, he's flirting with danger. He's flirting and, and he, he's... He's not thinking, God, would you remember me right now? He's betraying his God. He's betraying his responsibility. He's, he's derelict in his duty as a man of God to be a representation of God. Listen, Father, in the home, Dad, you are the first representation to your children of God. God becomes our father when we get saved. And every child who has a father in the home, that is to be their first representation. You say, well, I grew up without a dad. I didn't have an example. If you're saved, you had the best father you could ever find. And he's a delivering God, and he'll do it again tonight. Samson didn't want God to remember him when he's looking at junk he shouldn't have been looking at. He didn't want God to remember him when he wanted to be able to have his fun and his fling and do his thing. Had he been praying that prayer chapters before and earlier in the chapter, he would not have been a statistic. You say, preacher, but we're talking about now. All right, now. He's blind. He's bound He's grinding. Sin is hard the way the transgressor's hard. Oh, Lord God, remember me. That's what I call an attitude of repentance. You know what, is, what it is about this man, Samson, here? He's had a change of heart. It's not just he feels like, you know, I need to get back to God. No, he's had a change of mind. He's changed his whole mind about who he is and, and who God is. You know, the message of repentance, it's one of the last messages God has given to the church. Revelation 2 and 3, it's filled with the Lord telling his church in the day and age which we live, the church age, repent. We need to change our mind. We need to change our mind about our carelessness. We need to change our mind about our being casual. I appreciate, Pastor. I appreciate your, the fact that he treats God with respect. And this is a men's meet. We're going we're gonna to have some barbecue and some meat. And, and yet, the one who's preaching, we didn't even, I didn't even ask if he's wearing a tie. 
But I was going to wear one anyway. Why? Well, because I had a pastor who said, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but I learned that God deserves that. And I say this I'm, to, to our people, and I say this to you. I, know, I don't expect you to wear a tie coming in here, but I just feel like if we're going to stand up and preach, we don't want to look like we are putting this in in between innings of a ball game. We need to repent about our casualness towards God. We need to repent about our being calloused. I don't really care. One of the great things about young people is that we're able to see God work in their lives a lot earlier. Because there's a danger saying no to God and no to God. And you move from the elementary years to the teen years and teen years to the college years. And then you get married and you've got more distraction. And all you've known is saying no to God. And your heart gets calloused. I've heard men say, if what I'm doing is sin, so be it. I've done it all my life. I ain't changing now. Oh, no, that's not Samson here. Samson says, oh God, remember me. He changed his heart. He changed his mind. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it may be no more I, dear Lord, but Christ that lives in me. Not only did he have an attitude of repentance, but notice in verse number 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee. Notice this, and strengthen me. Yes. Isn't that ironic? The strongest man to ever live. I don't think that we are going to struggle as much in the areas of our weaknesses as we will in the areas of our strength. Because the areas where we're strong is the areas where we say, I got it. Well, just think about David, the man after God's own heart. It was taken by another. He allowed that. Strongest man becomes one of the weakest men. Because they, they minimized they minimized really where the strength came from. You say, I'm doing pretty good. I'm making a lot of money. I'm providing for my family, doing very well. God's time frame is not yours. And if what you're doing, you're doing in your own strength and energy. The Bible tells us that David, he laid the groundwork for sin. He didn't fall into sin. No one falls into sin suddenly. Right. We watched Samson. He laid the groundwork for sin. No one falls into sin suddenly. No one just wakes up one morning and says, I'm leaving my wife. Everyone else may say, just came out of, out of the blue. No, it didn't. You laid the groundwork for it. You were operating in, in some other strength that was not God's. The arm of the flesh, no matter how powerful it will fail. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. God is not a God of 
a lot of strength. He's the God of all power. And Samson cries out, Oh, Lord God, strengthen me. You know what he's saying here, I believe? I believe he's saying this. God, maybe the first time for Samson, but he's saying, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. It took all of this to convince Samson he can't do it. Do you know... Many of us are afraid. There was a time in my life I would, I would have been very afraid to say, I can't do this. All right, do you think you can, you can preach? Do you think you can serve God? Do you think you can lead? Do you think you can do this? There have been times say, I think I can. Paul said, Philippians 3, verse 3, I put no confidence in the flesh. Samson is here saying, I can't. See, we put a lot of humanism into our theology. I was in a Christian bookstore one time. I don't even know if they have those anymore. But a lot of those even then were more book than they were Christian. But I remember seeing a, a picture. It had an athlete, a runner crossing a finish line and just coming across that ribbon. And underneath it said, I can do all things, dot, dot, dot. Philippians 4.13. I'm going to tell you, that's blasphemy. Right. Nowhere does God say we can do it. Yeah. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Right. Nothing. And that's not just a proverb, a good saying, a good idea. But you say, I do a lot of things. Look at what I've done. I've, done, I've, I've produced preachers in my home. I have sent kids to Bible college. I have grandkids who serve God. What do you mean I can't do it without? I can do, I've done a lot of things so that's not really true. It's a good idea, but that's not true. I can do things without him. Listen, what he's not, what he's not talking about is doing things in your strength. Because you and I, you're sitting, you came here in your own strength. You're breathing, you're, you're existing. You can open a door, you can move a, a board, you can wield a hammer, you can do things with your hands. He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about a spiritual dynamic that transforms lives and not only transforms lives here upon this earth, but can actually transform a life, transform a heart, regeneration that can prepare a person for eternity. What he's saying is you can't do anything of eternal value without him. Nothing. You can, preacher, we can, we can build a crowd, we can have a bunch, we can move people, we can distribute the gospel. But we can also do all that in our own energy and flesh. And there have been many big ministries that have been built because of man's wisdom and power. Samson is figuring it out. I can't do it. I can't. The sooner we get to I can't, the sooner you get to deliverance. Yes, sir. I remember a few years back, well, back when I was in evangelism, I just got to a point where I hit, I just hit depression. And, and, and I, could, I can give exact reasons as to why, and, and it was very helpful to figure out why. And... Um, but, but I, I fell into this, this depressing fog in my life. 
And I remember getting up to preach one time, and, and before I got up to preach, I was just right on the front row, and I remember saying, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I remember tears coming down my face because I never really said that. But I said, God, I can't. And I thought God was in heaven doing this. Oh, no. What am I going to do? Here's another preacher I've invested in, and, um, and I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to do. You know what I think God was doing? When I said, God, I can't. I think God was saying, finally. Finally, we can. Now we can get somewhere. Maybe you say, I've been trying to be the man that I'm supposed to be. I've been trying. Well, that's the problem. You know what's right, and to try to do what's right in your own strength and energy, it, it's going to wipe you out. And so we then settle in and just fake it, but we're not really making it. We're hiding. Samson said, Lord, I changed my mind about me. I changed my mind about you. Oh, God, remember me. And then he says, strengthen me. Why? Because he's saying, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. But notice this, what he does say. In verse 28, strengthen me, I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, you, read, you can read 10 different commentaries and 10 different commentators are going to tell you different things as to what they think. But I'll tell you at the very least, what I think he's saying is, God, avenge me for my two eyes. What he's saying is this, God, remember me. I repent. I change my mind. I, 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 I'm not okay. I, I'm not greater than you. I'm not as big as what I thought I was. God, I've changed my mind. Oh, God, strengthen me because I can't do it. Avenge me. Because God, you can. See, there's nothing wrong with getting to a place. In fact, it's where we need to get to. I can't. Why? So that you can see God can. And I hope you'll see over these next few hours that we're together tonight and tomorrow. God can. He not only wants to deliver, but he can do it. Remember Moses, when God was looking for a deliverer, Moses was the one who was... Pick me. I can do it. And listen, God wanted to use Moses. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that Moses turned his back on everything except one thing, Moses. And God put Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. You know what Moses learned? I can't. In fact, God comes to him in, in Exodus chapter 3 and says, Moses, now it's time. You know what Moses said? I can't. And God began to talk to him about what he wants him to do. Moses said, I can't. And the Bible says that God got angry with Moses. Why? Because he learned part of the equation. He learned, I can't. But that's going to keep you in defeat. He needed to learn what Samson learned, and that is God can. God can. To be a man. You can go out and you can learn some rough and tough skills, but to be a man of God, it's going to take, I can't, but God can. Yeah, right. Would you see one last thing? He changed his heart and mind. Oh, God, remember me. Strengthen me because I can't do it. Avenge me because, Lord, you can do it. 
By, before I go to the next one, I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, I guess my philosophy is this, everything is wrong until God sets it right. Everything is wrong until God sets it right. Look at the fourth thing, verse 30. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Notice the phrase, let me die with the Philistines. What a prayer. Some commentators, again, you read these commentators, and, and some suggested this was total unbelief on the part of Samson. He was committing suicide. But I think what happens here in this passage is what puts him in Hebrews chapter number 11. Well, did he die because of what he did? Yes. Do you think he knew he was going to die? I do. But I don't see this as him, him saying, put me out of my misery. I'm tired of being the, the husband that the pastor's been preaching on. I'm tired of trying to be the father that, that the Bible's been preached uh, uh, to me about. I, I, just, just put me out of my misery. No, no, that's not Samson. Right. He repented. He changed his mind. God, you're right. I'm wrong. He unloaded the card. I can't do this, but God, you can. And when he said, let me die, with the Philistines, here's what he was saying. I'm all in. You know when God shows up? When you get all in. You can't be more all in than this. That's why I say I believe God puts this here to show us what he did in his death if we would do it tonight. See, what we are good at in our Christianized American mindset is we dabble with God. And we have this, this kind of snarky attitude. I don't mind some good preaching. I don't, I've, been, I've seen preachers and I know churches. But the truth of the matter is you don't know what it's like to get all in because you haven't gotten there. And if you'd get all in, you'd see that God could show up in your life and transform. You say, what if he doesn't? I say, why don't you try it? Why don't you just try humbling yourself tonight, praying, seeking his face, turn from his wicked ways, and see if God doesn't come through to be true to yeah. you. His name was Mike Christian. I heard John McCain talk about it when he was campaigning years ago when he was a prisoner of war. Mike Christian was a naval officer that was shot down and they were kept in this uh, detention, this, um, this, this prison facility there and, uh, and they were beaten. It was just unthinkable what they would go through. Mike Christian, one day a package came into their cell and opened it up and they found red and white handkerchiefs and rags and scarves. Their uniforms were blue-issued uniforms, so Mike Christian took those and a, a, a black naval officer and he found this bamboo needle and he went underneath a solitary light bulb and he 
would begin to sew this homemade, crude American flag inside of his shirt. And they would get food shoved in on the floor. And before they would eat, Mike Christian would take his shirt and open it up. And he would look at those men who were there because they were captured, they were detained, they were prisoners of war. And he would look at them and he would utter the words, say it. And they would stand to attention and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America. One day, Mike Christian was taken and drug out. And he was beaten, beaten unmercifully. And they brought Mike Christian and dropped him back in, having taken that flag out, out of his uniform. And, and they threw him a new, another shirt, but he was beaten. His face was swollen. His eyes were swollen. McCain said, we didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. Somewhere in the night, Mike Christian woke up. And they looked over and they could see him, face and eyes swollen. And they could hear him say this, say it, say it. And he was trying to make another American flag inside of his shirt. Say it. I want to tell you, there are men and women who have served our country and have given their all to a flag and to a country that may never repay them. But tonight we have the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his all for us. And he has promised in 1 Corinthians 15 to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You've never invested a moment, not one single breath, not one thought, not one moment of service for the Lord, but what he has promised to repay. But perhaps there's no greater payment or repay we could ever experience than God to reach down and to deliver us. Your broken heart, your broken life, your broken marriage, your broken family, your broken mind has been saturated in the sewage of this world. Our God is able to deliver. And in just a moment, Samson experienced the blessing of God. And in just a moment, when you and I cry out to God, He will deliver. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed. Lord, I thank you that there's an appointment that has been set with you. Lord, we need you. There's no doubt about that. But we're not always convinced that we need you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, convince us while the world around us is in a mess. You've chosen us. Many may even think, I didn't sign up for this. But Lord, would you open our hearts and minds and awaken us as to the good, gracious God that you are to use us and the privilege that that is. Lord, may you help us to develop a heart and a mindset of a Samson on this last day of his life that we could live each and every day living in genuine Bible repentance, recognizing I can't do it, but you can, and being all in for the cause of Jesus. 
We have families. We have a wife that needs us to be all in for you. We have children who need us to be all in for you. I pray that you do it. In your name we pray, Pastor. Folks are praying.